Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of What Are You Reading? A podcast where we talk about, you guessed it, books, what we're reading, what we have read, and what we liked or didn't like about them. We would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording today, the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, and Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Storytelling has been a part of this land for more than 60,000 years, and we are honoured to be talking about stories on our podcast today. Hello, my name is Sarah. And my name is Jess. And for our first episode, we thought that we would bring you a list of our favourite fiction books released and read by us in 2020. But before we begin, we're going to tell you a little bit about ourselves. Let's get into it. So my name is Sarah, surname Clark. I'm living in Melbourne or Nam. I wear a few different hats from day to day. I'm an actor, photographer, sometimes writer, and I work for a touring theatre company. I'm also an avid reader, which probably is no surprise to you listening today. My real interest in reading as a hobby began just a couple of years ago, but more recently it has grown into this precious daily ritual that literally no amount of sleep deprivation can break. Five (laughs) random facts about me. I am a Leo. My favourite food is pizza, and I would eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner if I had my way. Good call. Thank you. I can't shake the habit of saying the word like, no matter how hard I try, and uh, you will find that out very shortly. But to be completely honest, I don't try that hard. I picked up rollerblading as my little hobby in lockdown. And uh, one last thing, very importantly, you need to know that I'm obsessed with Harry Styles. I actually did not know that about you. Yeah, I went through a Justin Bieber phase and... I remember that well. Yeah, now it's Harry Styles. I had no idea. Um, What is your favourite Harry Styles song? Uh, Watermelon Sugar at the moment. Yep, I heard it today on a reel on Instagram. Oh, yeah, it's just a banger. Jess... I would love to learn a little bit about you, if you don't mind. Oh, thank you so much for asking. Okay, so my name is Jessica Stanley, or Jess. I'm an actor and writer living in Melbourne, or NUM. I work for the same touring company that Sarah works for, and we also met at acting school many years ago now. Uh, When I'm not acting, I work as a freelance copywriter and creative writer under the name Speakin' Jess, Uh, multiple meanings in that name, but you can figure that out for yourself. And soon I will be an authorised marriage celebrant. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, that was really good timing that that came through at the start of lockdown. So you can study online and I was doing that all the way through last year. That was a really fun way to keep myself occupied. I've always been known as a bookworm, uh, which was embarrassing as a teenager, but I have since come to embrace it. And definitely throughout a lot of my 20s, I found myself reading less and less. But 2020, I got way back into reading and I've just been really obsessed ever since. I really enjoyed during lockdown last year, putting on my Instagram stories, little videos of my quote unquote, 
isolation recommendations where I was recommending books to people. And it was such a nice way to keep in touch with people and connect, especially to people that I hadn't spoken to in years. I loved those ISO recommendations and actually read quite a few of your recommendations. Oh, thanks for that. Shucks. <laughs> Thank you. I'm constantly working my way through a huge pile of books that you have given me. So right back at you. <laughs> <laughs> and five random facts about me. I love all things that are green. That's clothing, cushions, plants, bedding, all of it. I have never been a fan of the beach. <gasps> really? <laughs> You're a beach person, aren't you? I'm from the Gold Coast. Yeah, <laughs> you have to be. I wish I was. I just can't do it. Uh, I believe that all cakes are better if you take them out of the oven early. I love when they are gooey in the centre. Agreed. Despite trying everything possible, save for hypnosis, I still bite my nails as much as I wish that I didn't. And one of my favourite hobbies is pole dancing. Not that I'm very good, especially after spending an entire year locked in my apartment. You pole dance, I rollerblade. We're winners. <laughs> cool gals. Have you ever fallen <laughs> off the pole? Only a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. Not too badly. Yeah, no, I'm really not a graceful person, which is unfortunate when it comes to pole, but what are you going to do? Well, at least it's funny, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to be laughing at your expense, but um, <laughs> it is. This is probably a really good segue into the next thing we wanted to talk about, which is visual descriptions and image descriptions that we see a lot of the time on Instagram. And right now we're on Zoom <laughs> and I can see Jess. <laughs> Got a lovely little blush streak through the cheeks and um, just an infectious smile and laugh. Um, but perhaps we, we can go into a bit more detail about... Um, what we're doing, where we're sitting, what it looks like, where we are. Yes, I'm so glad we're doing this because I feel like whenever I listen to a podcast, I really want to know where the people are sitting, what they're wearing, what they're doing, if they're in the same room or what. So I'm really glad that we're attempting some visual descriptions. Should we describe each other or ourselves? Oh, that's a really good question. Each other. Okay, I'm going to describe Sarah to all you listeners right now. So as she said, we are on Zoom because currently Melbourne is in a little snap lockdown. So what I can see is a young woman who has fair skin and long brown hair, which is pulled back by what I believe are purple butterfly clips. Yes, very cute. Uh, she has a big smile on her face. She has parrot earrings dangling from her ears. She has AirPods in her ears. And she is wearing a checkered pantsuit, which is maybe mauve and white. She is sunburned on her neck and chest, as she is just indicating to me. And the room behind her looks to be a kind of studio, a sound studio kind of thing. There's a lot of tech on the shelves there's a guitar, there's a keyboard, there's two more guitars, there's some milk crates, there's folders, boxes, there's a lot of tech. And that is the end of my description. Well, that was lovely. Thank you. For all you. the tech that I'm surrounded by, I don't know how to use much of it. <laughs> right before we started the podcast, I had to call my partner, who is the tech guru, for some advice, but we made it. 
We did make it, and I was glad that he made an appearance, really. Yeah, we'll have to get him on for a guestie one time. Oh, definitely. Um, now, what I see is the beautiful Jessica Stanley sitting in the dining space of her apartment. I know this because I've been there. However, what I can see in the frame is about mid-bicep up to the top of head with a bookshelf or a sort of pantry shelf behind with condiments and spreads and I can see a lovely big jar of peanut butter. Very good. Two thumbs up. And Jess has got fair skin, is wearing a green patterned dress with blue stars and moons on it, little crescent moons, um, and is wearing some very comfortable looking headphones with her beautiful red hair tied up in a bun. Oh, and I forgot to say, is smiling gorgeously. And there's a green tea towel in the back. You really do love green. (laughs) I do. I can't help it. And also, the reason my face is so red is because apparently now, even if I go out at night, I just get burnt in a heartbeat. You and me both. (laughs) I've only started taking to wearing sunscreen daily in the last 12 months or so. Me too. Me too. It feels like a part of getting older and accepting that actually my skin isn't going to stay this young and awesome forever. And actually, I do have to take care of it. And as disgusting as sunscreen is, it is the lesser of two evils. It's so important, though. I'm starting to get some pigmentation and stuff through throughout my forehead and under my eyes. And it's so interesting that it's just something I'd never really considered in my early and mid-20s. And now all of a sudden I'm thinking... Oh, can't leave the house without sunscreen. And it's actually become a really um, joyful ritual. You'll probably hear me speak about rituals a lot on this podcast, but <laughs> I, I, I really do enjoy routine. <laughs> you do love a good routine and I really enjoy watching your routines. I like your book routine. You've got this gorgeous little table that you can rest your book on and you can have your tea and your coffee on there as well. It's so great. Okay, so that's a little bit of preamble about us. Now, We're going to be beginning each episode with a bit of an overview of how our week's been so far. And because this is a book podcast, we have put it into a book format as a little homage. So, Sarah, without having to explain it in any way, please tell me, what epigraph would you use to describe your week so far? Gallop apace, you fiery-footed steeds. Short and sweet. I'm clapping silently. Do you recognize it? I do, but only because today I was editing a document that was all about Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) (laughs) What would yours be, Jess? (laughs) I'm not much, but I'm all I have. Oh, I'm really moved. (laughs) That is from a book called Martian Time Slip by Philip K. Dick, released in 1964. Wowee. (laughs) What do you think would be the dramatic climax of your week? Okay, this is a really pathetic answer and I hope to never have to give such a pathetic answer again. But the dramatic climax of my week was last night when I had the worst stomachache of my entire life, brought about by eating raw carrots. Raw carrots are the devil! They are! And I know this. This has happened to me in the past. 
I accidentally ate some raw carrots at work one day, and that night I was meant to be going to see 33 Variations, an amazing play. And I ended up just lying down on this chaise longue out in the foyer, and I just did not give a fuck. And so many people that I know were there that night and saw me, and also so many respected industry people, and I ignored them all because I truly, I could do nothing but just writhe around on this long.、Oh. So if you were one of the people that I ignored at 33 Variations, I'm very sorry. Whoa. Anyway, I should know better by now, but sadly, I ate some raw carrots yesterday on an empty stomach, and I. I truly can't explain to you how painful it was.、Um, and I was begging for death. Wowee. I suppose that is quite dramatic. Yeah, would you put it like that? Yeah. But please tell me what was the dramatic climax of your week? Very, very dramatic in contrast to yours. Last night, I was really struggling to decide whether or not to have a second ice cream. <gasps> Oh my God. What did you do? I had the second ice cream, obviously. <gasps> I'm so glad. Thank it God. It was hot. You know, it was a long day. Working from home is really hard.、So、yes. Um,、uh, I just had the second ice cream. What flavor was it? It was a Magnum, an almond one. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. So I、uh, did the essential shopping、um, after we found out about. The, the second locked or the what number are we on now? Number three. Number the third lockdown, I went and bought some essential things such as Magnums and Wee Spas. You love your Wee Spas. I just love ice cream. <laughs> maybe I, maybe I、um, like ice cream almost more than I like pizza, but in any case. Well, they go hand in hand, don't they? So. They do, yeah. One after the other. <laughs> okay, now tell me what's your protagonist moment of the week? What happened to you this week where you felt like you were the protagonist of the book? I、uh, have this route near my house where I like to walk. It's a track that I discovered in lockdown one all those months ago. It's a long one and it's, it goes right along this beautiful river with a city view. And I was walking, I had an audiobook in my ears as I want to do. Beautiful. And、um, I just had this moment of. Revelation. It was a nonfiction book, and、um, often I will choose to listen to things that I know will be inspiring for me, particularly if I'm in a particular mood. And、um, yeah, there was this, this sort of light bulb moment. I had to stop, had to write a little note, pause the book, write a little note in my phone, play the book again, keep going. And it was just a moment of symmetry, I suppose. In my week and calm.、I、haven't been、mm-hmm. feeling particularly calm the last few days. So、Fair. that was really nice. I, I imagine if that was in a book or, or a film, even that that would be、um, the turning point. The protagonist makes a discovery. We've got this underscore of gorgeous music, and then they go home and they kick butt. Dealt with some shit. Yep, precisely. I love moments of calm, especially at the moment. They're kind of hard to come by. They are. <laughs> And、um, do, do you think that you had yourself a protagonist moment this week? If I had to choose one, I would say it was last Tuesday. I went to get my eyes tested for the very first time in my life because I've been getting sore, tired eyes after spending the day looking at the screens. And I thought, my eyesight's fine, no worries. Nothing's blurry or anything, but I'm just going to go get myself some blue light lenses. That's all. Yep. 
And I was kind of excited for this eye test. So I went along and I did it. And then she said to me, I am detecting a prescription here today. Ooh. Yeah. I was shocked. Didn't know what to say. Wasn't expecting it um, because nothing's blurry or anything like that. Um, And I just had a bit of a weird freak out moment internally. And so my brain just still heard, okay, cool, your eyes are perfect, blue light glasses. (laughs) Then I got passed back to the shop floor to someone to try and sell me things. And they kept repeating that I should be wearing these glasses. Um, And I just, I wasn't computing. um, And I kind of just had a full on uh, identity crisis over it internally. Not because there's anything wrong with wearing glasses, obviously, but more because I can see fine. So I just didn't understand. So anyway, I just had a little mini freak out inside and then I just went home without buying anything. And then I told everyone that everything was fine and I don't need glasses. Great. Good for you. (laughs) So, yep, that was my weird protagonist moment of the week. But anyway, a few days later, I got over myself, went to a different glasses store And they are making me up some glasses because, oh my gosh, staring at a screen all day, my eyes get so tired and I can't wait to get them. I actually have some blue light glasses. Are they the ones that you left at work last week? Because I maybe tried them on and I really liked them. Yeah, I have a work (laughs) pair and I have a home (laughs) pair (laughs) because I usually only wear them when I'm working. I'm not wearing them right now, even though I've got two massive screens lighting up my face. But ordinarily, in this situation, I would be wearing them. Well, hey, thanks for letting me try them on. Hey, speaking of thanks, though, last thing, acknowledgements. Who would you like to thank this week or who are you grateful for? I am thankful for my friend Mark, who lives in country New South Wales, Uh, Because we had a two and a half hour phone call the other day, Sunday, and it was just really great. He lived in Melbourne and moved back home with his family at the very beginning of COVID, March, maybe early April last year. And um, so I miss him and it was just good to catch up and um, commiserate about lockdown and our woes and, you know, it's lovely to have somebody who uh, reciprocates your misery back at you. (laughs) (laughs) Love you, Mark. Are you grateful or would you like to thank anybody? Yeah, I have a few acknowledgements to make today. Firstly, to you for doing this podcast with me. So thank you. Shucks. (laughs) Uh, Secondly, to my friend Leah, whom you know, because she did a favour for me this week, which I really appreciated and I was really humbled by. So thank you, Leah. Claps for Leah. Claps for Leah. And lastly, shout out slash acknowledgement to Tamora Sakeba, uh, which is in Fitzroy, I believe. We went there for dinner on Friday night and we just had the best time. It's this gorgeous little sake bar and they play vinyl there they, and you can buy the vinyl it's all up on the walls and it was a really cool fit out really great menu really cool stuff loved the music really wanted to buy the soundtrack to our dinner had a really nice katsu curry great sake flight is that what you call it a flight board and it was just really great so thank you yay claps <laughs> claps claps all round <laughs> Okay, that 
is probably enough intro for our very first podcast. Let's get into the books. Oh, is that what we're here for? That's what we're here for. I'm not sure if we've mentioned. (laughs) (laughs) So when we were thinking about what to talk about for our first episode, Sarah suggested that we recap some of our favourite reads and releases of 2020. We both did a fair bit of reading last year, and so putting that category on top so that the book had to be released in 2020 made it a bit more challenging to select the top ones. Tricky, because there were so many good books, and as soon as I think of top books or favourite, my mind goes, oh, no, can't restrict, I like them all. Yes. It's hard. It is hard. And also we're specifically looking at fiction and I discovered that a lot of books that I thought were released last year were not. But that said, the five books I've got to present to you today, I think are pretty solid. Yay, I can't wait to hear. I wonder if we have any overlaps. I'm hoping that we do. I suspect maybe we'll have one overlap, but we'll see. So please tell me, Sarah, what is your first book from your top five favourite fiction books of 2020? My first book is called The Hunted by Gabrielle Bergmoser. Now, I know that you know Gabe. Am I pronouncing his name correctly? Yes, I believe you are. Excellent. Um, Now, I listened to the audio version of this and a huge shout out does need to be given to the person who narrated this audio book, whose name is Toby Truslove. So good. And I know that I would have enjoyed it whether I read it or listened to it. But I devoured this book so quickly. Really? I I think it's the book I've listened to the quickest out of any audiobook. Wow. Okay. Wow. It's kind of like a thriller, a little bit violent, a little bit gruesome, um, and it really does need to come with a trigger warning. So there maybe a couple of spoilers here. I'll try not to have any spoilers in case you do want to listen to it yourself um, or read it for that matter. But um, I want to tell you a little bit about it. So it centers around a couple of sort of main-ish characters. We've got Frank, who is a grandfather figure, and his granddaughter Allie came to stay with him for the school holidays. I believe it's summer from memory. And uh, Ali's a little bit estranged. Frank doesn't have much to do with his kids. So she comes, he lives in the outback. He works at a service station. It's desolate. It's boring. There's nothing to do. She wants to be back in the city. So they don't talk very much. They don't have much of a an engaging sort of relationship. Okay. They're not thriving. No, they're not. They're not thriving very much. Um, And then we'll leave them at the petrol station for a moment. Then we've got Simon, who is this traveller, road tripper, and he meets up with this girl called Maggie, who is pretty determined to go on a little quest um, and decides to sort of team up with Simon and they, they sort of start driving around the Aussie outback countryside together. It's really evocative the way that it's described and it makes you feel like you're sitting in the car. Look, I I do need to mention a lot of Aussie fiction describes the outback and is set in the outback. It certainly does. And sometimes I find that a little bit too much, a bit overdone, but with this book I was there for it. Great. Um, So it's really fast-paced. There's a lot of tension 
Maggie and Simon uh, get caught up at, there's no other word for it than a cult. <gasps> and it's really quite difficult to find, but Maggie is on a mission to find it. So, Oh, okay. Things happen on this property that will not be mentioned in this podcast. Oh, no. You're going to need to read it to find out what they are. <laughs> but Maggie escapes. Good. Let's just say that. And she somehow manages to make her way to the petrol station alive, despite all odds. Um, and there, what unfolds is this kind of feudal war between two sides and there's a couple of extra characters that come to play and the people from the cult chase Maggie to the petrol station and the people at the petrol station protect Maggie and it all ends, it all culminates in this really sort of big, violent, epic, amazing finale, um, which I don't really want to spoil for you so I think to find out the rest you're just gonna have to go and read it well I have it right beside my bed oh, so do you? <laughs> yeah I do I got it for James for Christmas and he's normally reading classics like Animal Farm or War and Peace but he picked this up right after Christmas and similarly to you read it really quickly so I cannot wait to read this now that you've said this I'm so excited and also, I'm pretty sure this is being turned into a film. Yes! So, yay for Gabe. Congrats. He's a very talented and lovely guy. So, very excited to see it. Yeah, it's really good. There's a lot of bad characters and at the same time, so many surprising heroes that you want to root for. Cool. Kind of, I felt like I was on so many people's teams and it was, despite being quite horrific in the subject matter, it was almost uplifting towards the end yeah don't don't read it if you're feeling fragile wait for a day when you're feeling brave and strong but yeah highly highly recommend that one okay good to know I was really sad because I couldn't purchase the French cover because it had this really beautiful aerial shot I think of a road with the forest on either side and it was so gorgeous but anyway the Aussie cover is pretty exciting so can't wait to read it (laughs) (laughs) your turn my turn. Uh, so one of my favourite surprise books of 2020 was Earthlings by Sayaka Murata, the Japanese author of Convenience Store Woman. So have you read this yet? Nope. Okay. So this came out right at the end of the year. It's got a dark cover with a little... Uh, hamster soft plush toy on it and it has stars everywhere it's super cute and it's a really small read just like convenience store woman this book was kind of indescribable but that's not helpful so i will try uh i saw a review online which this is a little bit spoilery but i also found this very intriguing so i saw this review that kind of said incest murder magic cannibalism everything is in this book so it's pretty wild and unexpected wow so it's narrated by a child natsuki and straight away she's talking about the really strong bond she has with her male cousin you and then on the very second page she says you is my boyfriend and i thought oh my god what is happening uh but it just kind of got kookier and kookier from there 
But I have to say, just like convenience store woman, despite the kookiness of the storyline and the character, they're still really relatable in their experiences. So we follow Natsuki from her childhood into early adulthood, and she really refuses to conform to society's rules, but she's also haunted by something that happened to her in her past. Uh, trigger warning, little bit messed up, but told through the beautiful, naive, innocent eyes of a child. Uh, I really don't know what else to say about this one without spoiling it, except to say that you really don't know where this book is going to take you. Uh, if it was a film, it would be the equivalent to the last 20 minutes of 2001 Space Odyssey. But what I really liked about this book and her writing in general is the beautiful uh, simplicity of it. And I also think that it's hilarious and that she just does a really good job at uh, portraying the innocence of a child and allowing us as the reader to witness these really adult topics, but through that beautiful naivety. Oh, I cannot wait to read it. I loved Convenience Store Woman. Yeah, similar characters. This could almost have been the childhood version of that character, but obviously in very different circumstances. Great. This book got me straight away and it was a really quick and easy read. Yay! Well, (laughs) sticking to child protagonists, would you like to hear my next one? Yes, please. Now, this is one that I just finished recently. Um, I didn't read it last year, so I'm breaking the rules a little bit and bending the rules. Um, it's All Our Shimmering Skies by Trent Dalton. Ooh. Um, published in 2020 by HarperCollins. Um, Trent Dalton, I just need to preface this by saying that I will read anything that man writes. I am a huge fan. I just think he's so original and he's got such mm. a consistent voice between mm-hmm. Boy Swallows Universe and this one. I feel like they are almost a pair, although they have a completely different story. It's so clear, maybe in the same way as you just mentioned, that the the author's voice still shines through. Yeah. So, um, it is set in 1942 in the Northern Territory, Australia, and it documents the time surrounding the, what is called the Australian Pearl Harbour, which was the bombing of Darwin by Imperial Japanese Navy, which took place in February 1942. And so, we follow this child protagonist sort of before, during and after this bombing and what takes place and how she navigates all sorts of huge feelings of loss and grief and survival. And one review that I read described Dalton's writing as unrestrained and glorious, and I think that that is so present throughout Mm. the book. So the main character's name is Molly Hook. She's affectionately known as the Gravedigger Girl. Yes. Violet Hook, who is her mum who makes a premature departure from the world. We have her dad, Horace, her uncle, Aubrey, mm. then a cast of sort of colourful characters. Greta Mays is like the local town actress. And then we also meet this fallen Japanese pilot named Yukio. Ooh, unexpected. And there's a childhood friend, Sam, who is from the local Indigenous tribe. 
There's Longcoat Bob, who is uh, an elder. The Lightning Man is this sort of mythical story that Sam tells Molly, which guides her on this quest that she goes through. And my favourite character almost in the whole book is the Sky. Ooh. It's really sweet. It just just touches my little heart. Oh, how beautiful. Yeah. So the descriptions throughout the book are all sort of really evocative of the landscape and um, the journey that Molly is going on. And I've never spent any time in the Northern Territory, um, but I really want to go, and even more so after reading this book, if the descriptions are anything like what it's like in real life. Mm. Sounds amazing and scary and beautiful all at the same time great so i would sort of classify this as a bit of an adventure novel yeah our child protagonist molly has some hardship decides to go on this journey this quest and she's got this um gold what do you call it a gold sifting pan would you say that's the right sure um yeah a gold sifting pan and it was her grandfather's and there's an inscription on the back and she's using that inscription as directions. Oh, my God, I love that. She believes that Longcoat Bob put a curse on her grandfather because he stole some gold from Longcoat Bob's collection and Longcoat Bob, it's rumoured, put a curse on the family saying that your heart will turn to stone. Uh. So then Molly's mum leaves her dad and her uncle are very, very cold figures in her life. So as she's growing up, she's starting to believe this potential curse and she's really worried that her heart is going to turn to stone. So she thinks, I've got to find Longcoat Bob and get him to reverse the curse because I don't want my heart to turn to stone. So that is so sweet and innocent. It is. It is. And she's so... um, relatable in that innocence like I think um if you were to look at that sort of without the context of the entire book um it you can kind of go oh it's a bit icky not interesting whatever but I cared about Molly so much and I was sort of with her the entire way rooting for her so I think that Trent's managed to make a um kind of uh kooky or naff kind of situation really endearing Mm. the bombs hit darwin and molly's faced with more loss so she decides she needs to sort of flee into deep country with this gold sifting pan to find long coat bob and and greta mays comes with her the actress and so they're off together it's them against the world and there's these things called um sky gifts So she's expecting these things to fall from the sky to sort of guide her on her journey. So things fall from the sky. I won't tell you what, but I will tell you that I knew that they were coming because the chapters are called the first sky gift, etc. But every time a sky gift came, it shocked me and surprised me and I wasn't ready for it. So just keep keep your your ears out or your eyes out for those because they're a real treat. This sounds like it would make a really good stage play. Oh, yeah. And actually, Boy Swallows Universe is a stage play at QPAC at the moment. That's what I thought. Yes, I can see it. 
I don't know if you saw the curious incident of the dog in the night time. I didn't. Ah, oh, it was put on by Erratic Assembly, and I can really see Trent Dalton's work being put on in a similar way. They would really capture the magic of it and the transformation and all that good stuff. Mm. Anyway, so Molly goes on this quest and um, she gets the answers that she's looking for. Okay, great. I just started this, as you know. I'm listening to it, though, but only at work, so I'm not very far in. And I've just met Greta, whom I love. Yes. As an actor, I loved everything that came out of her mouth. Have you seen the little Lady Macbeth moment yet? No. Okay, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best setting for Macbeth that I can think of. I can't wait. (laughs) You can tell I got a little bit rambly there with my description of it, but it just does... um, prompt a lot of passion in me. I could just talk about that book for for quite some time. So I'd love to hear your thoughts when you finish it. Yes. I kind of put off reading Boy Swallows Universe for such a long time because it was everywhere, but it was really good. And I'm so glad that his follow-up has a female protagonist. So I'm really excited to get into it. Keep listening. Yeah. And I mean, I don't think it's going to be for everyone. It is very descriptive. Um, But it's certainly the book that I needed at the time that I picked it up. And I don't think that his descriptions in his writing are too heavy-handed. I think they're the right mix of poetry and lightness, whereas, you know, some books you pick up and every sentence is so laboured and Mm. poetical that it's just, ugh. Great. Okay. Oh, I can't wait to finish it. More to come. Yay. All right. Um... The next book I want to talk about, I also cheated and put a book on this list that I also finished this year, but it was in the first few days of January and it was released last year. This is The Girl with the Louding Voice by Abby Dare. I want to read this book so much. Ah, you definitely should. This was a glorious book. It follows the story of Aduni a 14-year-old girl who lives in Nigeria. She lives in quite a small remote village. Uh, She is quite quickly married off because her family needs the money and she very much doesn't want to get married. She's only 14. She's a teenager. She wants to be in school. She really wants to learn. And she has this unwavering curiosity and she is so intelligent and she's so bright and she's so stubborn And uh, unfortunately, like many girls in her situation, she doesn't have much choice. She's forced to get married against her will pretty much. Mm. So she goes and joins this new household. She's the third wife of this quite horrible middle-aged man. Pretty typical kind of character in that role, as you can imagine. But the second wife is kind and they become friends. So that's pretty nice. However, tragedy strikes as it does and Aduni ends up having to run away from her village. She has to flee. This is starting to sound like all our shimmering skies. Anyway, so she ends up in a new household in the service of a woman called Big Mama, who is a filthy rich lady. Uh, Because apparently, so every chapter starts with a fact about Nigeria. And I learned some amazing things that I did not know. For example... Nigeria has the second largest film industry in the world after Bollywood called Nollywood. Wow. Yeah. They make a hundred films a week or something like that. Uh, Incredible. 
So she goes to work for this woman who also treats her terribly. And the whole time she just wants to go back to school. And she has this stubborn, fierce spirit to her that can't be broken. And I absolutely loved this book. It was uh, written quite uniquely because it was told in first person perspective. And because Aduni hasn't had much schooling, her uh, written or spoken word isn't often written uh, what would be grammatically correct, what would be considered grammatically correct. And so the first few pages, it's almost a little bit jarring because sometimes you have to almost rewire your brain to figure out what she's actually saying, but then you just get used to it and it opens your eyes as the reader to uh, her perspective and new perspectives of looking at things in the way that she absorbs language is so unique. This was an uplifting, uh, harsh, but beautiful book about a young girl that just wanted to follow her dreams. And I wanted it to continue. I didn't want it to end. I love it when that happens. Yeah, it was so good. I loved it. I can't wait to borrow that from you. Yes, please do. <laughs> um, well, I have another book on my list that I really enjoyed, and I think you'll be expecting this one. This is The Mother Fault by Kate Mildenhall. Uh, yes, I wondered if it would make an appearance. Yes, this is the book I will lend out to anybody who will take it. So this was published in 2020, set in Australia. It is sort of an imagined dystopia in the not-too-distant future, and I absolutely adore a dystopian fiction. Oh, yeah. Any setting. Oh, I just... I don't know what it is. I just, it's my kind of genre. I can read that day and night. I just, I'm quite obsessed and I always get through books of that genre really quickly. So this one is no exception. I think I read this in about 48 hours. <laughs> so uh, Mim lives in this surveillance state. It's a climate change world. Everyone is microchipped. Um and the government tracks everything, basically. So Mim gets this phone call from the company where her husband works and he's working offshore in Indonesia um, at the beginning of the book um, saying that he's gone missing. And before she knows it, the government's come and seized her and her children's passports and so she's sort of locked in, cannot leave the country when what she wants to do is go to Indonesia and look for her missing husband. Um, so the government's pretty controlling in this alternate reality. Um, there are these camps or you could maybe think of them as housing estates called One Life and essentially uh, you go in, you don't get out. So it's sort of the end of the line. And her brother actually ended up in one of those estates. Um, so she knows that she's kind of got to go under the radar. She goes on the run to look for a hubby. She takes her kids with her, Essie and Sam, and they try and go no tech in order to avoid detection. So they cut their microchips out of out of the skin. Um, and I remember that part of the book being quite visual. Um, the kids were really brave and actually really interestingly written kids they were very obviously kids, but they were quite real and quite mature almost in their responses to things, which mm -hmm. I quite enjoyed. I also love 
um, tech elements to books, particularly where there's sort of uh, expansions in tech as we know it, but that is possible within our lifetime. So it's quite scary and entertaining and amazing. And Yeah, the microchips feel like they're not that far off in a terrifying future, which hopefully we don't have to have. Yes, fingers crossed. Um, but anyway, in, in the book, there's this real sort of sense of urgency and danger almost throughout it, and which for, for my mind really makes it that sort of page turner. And what I love probably most about it is that the main character is a woman and she's also a mum and she's also sort of young to middle-aged. I can't remember specifically what age she is. But just you and I know being in the acting industry that once you hit sort of 26, 27, up until the age of 40-ish, there's not really much going on. Yep. I love that um, there's a woman that's in that age range who's getting time, who's having her voice heard, even if it's if it's in this sort of far-fetched <laughs> reality. But I think it's still really important that, you know, the, the quote-unquote invisible women become visible again. So I'm super passionate about that. I totally agree. And can I say that that was actually also one of my favourite things about this book, that uh, we didn't have this young, beautiful heroine. I mean, she was still young, comparatively, of course. But I really liked this part in the book towards the end. She'd been travelling for days and she looks in the mirror at herself and instead of seeing this perfect thing, she just notices her wrinkles and the fact that she looks like shit and she smells and stuff like that. And uh, somehow that's quite rare to read in a book narrated by a woman. And I loved that she was just allowed to be messy and sexual and all of that stuff. Yeah, same. It's not polished. It's not reality as we know it, which is so filtered. It's just real. Strip all of that away and put a major crisis and emergency on top of it. Um, and you've got this really sort of badass lead character yeah kind of got everything for me it's 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 a dystopian future it's this badass leading lady it's an aussie landscape it's got the ocean love the ocean love (laughs) the beach unlike some (laughs) it has the romantic subplot which um i read a few reviews that went into it oh really yeah i really liked it i thought as you said it it reinforces mim as this leading lady you know you can be desirable and messy at the same time and she's allowed to be flawed and have desires and pursue those desires or not whatever floats her boat for sure and well-written children yes I agree I really felt for this woman having to go through this disaster and everything that she does uh fleeing from a totalitarian state doing all of this with teenagers and young children in tow yeah yeah it reminds me same same but very different um it reminds me a little bit of tell me lies by jp pomare which i just listened to recently um which is a thriller aussie as well with a mum, similar kind of vibe to mem mim rather um uh with her two kids anyway that's a book for another time, but um, I like it. I like that the mums are getting airtime. Yes. The Mother Fault by Kate Mildenhall. If you haven't read it already, 
give it a try. Also, one other thing that I really, really loved about it was the font and the spacing in the book. Just at a practical level, it was easy to read. I don't like a book when the font is really tightly packed. Yes, I agree. Authors, do yourselves a favour and don't have your font be tiny. Yes, agreed. (laughs) I also really like the title of that book because it kind of leaves you thinking, leaves you wondering. It's never fully explained, but it also really doesn't need to be. And it's got kind of a strong dual meaning going on. Mm. Yeah, true. I hadn't thought about that. Interesting observation. (laughs) Okay, so the next book that I'm going to talk about, I feel as though I read it a lifetime ago, but really it was just mid-2020. This is Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid. Yay, I love this book. Yeah, so technically this was released on December 31st, 2019, but I don't care. So this is a super easy read. I can see the feature film before my eyes. I feel like Reese Witherspoon, because this was part of her book club, I feel like she's probably got the rights to this film and it will be hitting our cinemas within two years. Uh, So this follows the story of Amira, who's a young woman. She works as a private nanny for a family with a two-year-old, a toddler. Yeah, toddler. I actually don't know how to say this name. Uh, Bria? Briar? I always read it as Briar. Briar. Yeah, I think that's what I thought too. Anyway, there's a child and Amira looks after her pretty full-time and I would say that Amira is a bit adrift in her own life. She still hasn't maybe found what she's really passionate about, but she's only in her mid to early 20s, so that is so fine. So in the very first chapter of the book, she gets a call from the her boss, the parents of Bria, saying, hey, uh, we're having a bit of an emergency at the house. Can you please come and pick up Bria and just get her out of the house for a few hours? And Amira... Uh, says, sure, why not? She goes and picks up the little girl and they just go for a walk down the street and end up chilling out in a kind of supermarket, grocery store, gourmet kind of thing. Oh, very important detail to the story is that Amira is black and the family she works for are white. That's pretty important detail. (laughs) So they're in this grocery store. She's there with a small white child, um... About midnight on a Saturday night, she's pretty dressed up, not like a babysitter because she's been at a party. And a security guard and this white woman who've been observing her come over and start questioning her and start, they want to hold her there and they're saying, did you kidnap this child? And things start to escalate from there. She is forced to defend herself and she has to explain that, no, actually, she has not kidnapped this child. She's being paid to look after her. Nobody believes her. It is extremely uncomfortable. Until the father, whose name I can't think of right now, turns up, explains the situation, and then everything is okay, except for poor Amira, who has to deal with that. And so from there, we kind of have a split narrative between Amira and Alex, or as she announces it, Alex, who is the mother of Briar, who I could definitely see Reese playing. Yeah, I could see Reese as that. Yeah, I feel like it's inevitable. And Alex is a um, <laughs> a very type A personality, I guess you could say. Uh, she comes across as very uptight. She's like a, a journalist, 
who wants to be a talk show host, wants to have this flashy, great career, is desperate to prove herself. And she is so desperate to be liked, especially by Amira, and especially after what has happened in the grocery store. So overall, I would say this book is primarily about Amira, but very much about the relationship between these women and the way that they relate coming from uh, their different races and very different places of privilege. And this white woman who thinks that she has good intentions and thinks she's coming from a helpful place, but uh, really only just shows her own ignorance and makes everything more messy for everyone. And she kind of descends into this, well, it was always within her, but it really starts to come out and we see these really unpleasant, nasty traits come out of her. And Amira is just trying to keep her dignity and discover what she wants to do in life. And she actually loves this little girl and doesn't want to leave her. And then it gets even more complicated because Amira starts dating the guy who was also there that night at the grocery store and he filmed the entire incident on his phone. And he claims to have Amira's best interests at heart, but it becomes murky as to whether he actually does or not. I would call Alex's um, actions as sort of self-serving. I feel like she's got her own best interests. She's not considering anybody else's or what anybody else wants, only what she thinks she wants and needs. Yes, definitely. And it's very white saviory in terms of Alex really thinks that she's doing Amira so many favors that Amira never asked for, doesn't want, doesn't, doesn't need. But the book certainly taught me a lot as well. So I was really glad to read it. Have you watched Little Fires Everywhere? No, but I want to. Well, if you've seen that, the character that Reese plays in that is very similar vibes to Alex. So similar, in fact, that I almost feel like now she can't play this role. Oh, really? Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. It was just really readable. Um, When I say it was an easy read, I don't mean the subject matter was that easy um, because I'm sure it would be very upsetting for a lot of people, but it was... It was accessible. It was accessible. That's, That's the word I'm looking for. I feel like anyone could pick up this book and enjoy it. Yeah, and I think even though it's about, you know, I'm, I'm going to um, talk about race for a moment, even though it's about the, or the main protagonist is is a black woman, reading it from my worldview and lived experience as a white woman, it doesn't make me relate to Amira any less. In fact, it's so nice to have a black protagonist who I can relate to as a white person, not saying that I don't in other situations, but I think it's a really good step forward just in terms of diversifying the leading people that we see in our literature and hopefully eventually on screens and in our ears and and in whatever way we get our entertainment Um, because it's just a reminder of humanity and that oftentimes the bad bad people... (laughs) Uh, the well-intentioned white folk. Definitely. And that was the thing because we were also getting glimpses into what Alex was thinking as well and what her intentions were. She wasn't a villain, even though a lot of her actions became very questionable and villainous and it was easy to judge her. But I agree as a white person as well. It made me think of my actions in the past and I learned a lot. Yeah, and it's quite eye-opening that um, that sort of 
prejudice would be experienced so regularly and that we can sit here and say, oh, it's not dramatic or it's not that big of a deal. But for the person experiencing it, when it happens day in, day out, you just go, oh, really? They're having to put up with that all the time. That would just be so exhausting. Hell yeah. And I also really liked that the book was examining the fetishization of black people. Yes. In a more subtle way, but still, especially in terms of dating and relationships. And that was really interesting to read with this guy that comes into the story and he really believes himself to be an ally, but, you know, he doesn't get to decide that and Mira gets to decide that. And I feel like I learned a lot from that as well. And it's educational in that way without being in your face. Yes. It's subtle. I finished the book and thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. It crept up on you. Yeah, it did. It was a goodie. Okay, what is next on your list? Next on my list is a lovely, short, beautiful book called Weather by Jenny Offal. And this was published in 2020. Jenny is an American author, lives in New York, and the novel itself is set in New York and the surrounds. And the main protagonist in Weather is a woman called Lizzie, and she's a librarian. And she's cycling through thoughts and experiences that all sort of relate to climate change, or not all of them, but many of them are sort of around surrounding climate change as a impending doom sort of issue. Um, And the book is written, I would say, relatively simply. The language is quite simple and easy to read and easy to digest, but the ideas that are explored are really complex and detailed and juicy. And it's um, it's written in really short sort of choppy paragraphs and it's a little bit stream of consciousness and I just love a book like that. Me too. Yeah, it's just it's so interesting to get inside the writer's mind and via the writer into the, the world of the novel as well. Um, and I guess you could kind of call it dystopian fiction a little bit, but it wasn't dystopian fiction in the sense that this dystopia was different to the way that you and I experienced life <laughs> in 2021. Um, it was sort of addressed more subtly and it was ordinary, I suppose, in its dystopia-ness. And there was some sort of uh, extremist points of view that were addressed and talked about. Um, It was sort of about family. It was a little bit about the 2016 US election and the ramifications of that. It was about parenthood. But all of the writing, there was a, a subtle plot happening through it. But for me, it was it was a little bit of a passive read, and I don't mean that in a negative way. If you can think of passive as a positive thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it just you just kind of picked yourself on a leaf, just sort of floating through the cityscape in New York. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, so it's reflective in that way, I suppose, um, and. 
as I mentioned, the sort of choppy nature of the the structure, the way that it's written, um, in each little paragraph, there was just a nugget of gold, you know, a little revelation. Um, and it was the kind of book that I couldn't put down. And as soon as I finished it, I immediately wanted to pick it up and read it again because there were a few, a few factual sort of things in there that I looked up and actually were true, but they made up such a tiny little part of the plot and the story that I think that there's going to be so many Easter eggs and nuggets of gold going back for a second and maybe a third read. Mm. It's just so rich and it's so short. It would be lucky to be over 200 pages. Oh, wow. Just a lovely, compact, beautiful read. Great. I'm going to talk about the plot too much because I think it's just something that needs to be enjoyed without giving too much away. Okay. I really don't know anything about this book, so you've sold it to me. I really love those kinds of books where, oh, nice cover. Yes, I've seen that around. For anyone who's interested, it's a dark blue cover. It's got kind of a beautiful starlit sky, and then it's got all of these lines joining (laughs) things together. 201 pages. Question, when you start a new book, do you immediately flip to the end to see how many pages long it is? Sometimes. <laughs> it's terrible endgaining uh, for anyone who knows what endgaining is, but something about knowing how many pages there are, I'm, I must know. <laughs> it's unhealthy, but I must know when I start a book how long it is. Sometimes I do that at the start and sometimes I do it partway through. I always do it eventually, <laughs> but you know if it's a, if you can tell it's a thin book, sometimes I don't. This book sounds really cool. I love those kinds of narratives where they're just tiny little short, sharp paragraphs that seem disconnected, but they kind of thread together. It makes it so easy to read. Yeah, yeah, so easy and um, yeah, just a delight. Also. I love when I borrow a book from you and I find a bookmark in the front cover. There's something so nice about that. I always leave bookmarks in the front. The paperback bookshop is a favourite of mine and they always give me bookmarks with them. So I've got so many bookmarks lying around. Yes. I was reading in the Dreamhouse today and incidentally it had a bookmark from the paperback bookstore in the front cover and it kept slipping out but I was really determined to keep it safe and in the front of the book. Anyway. Ooh, okay, the next book. Ah, I really struggled. I wasn't sure if this was my top of the year from 2020 so consider my last two kind of on par with one another but I loved The Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett. Britt Bennett is an American writer. She was born and raised in Southern California and she has written many books. This was released in 2020 though. And The Vanishing Half follows the story of twin sisters, Stella and Desiree, who are black, but they are white passing. Yep. And as teenagers, they run away from their hometown in the deep South to avoid bad things. But from there, one of them runs away from the other one, The Vanishing Half. And they spend the rest of their lives separate and looking for each other or not looking for each other. So this book spans across decades and we're reintroduced to them as adults 
but then we are also introduced to their daughters, whose, of course, lives cross paths. And I just thought this was such a beautiful story. It was a bit of a slow start, so that was my criticism. Like the first chapter, which was about fifty pages, I really laboured through. But after that, I'm so glad I stuck with it. After that, it got really interesting. After we jumped forward in time, met the two daughters when the sisters were grown up, and so Desiree ends up returning to the hometown that she grew up in, uh, working in the diner there, raising her daughter, living with her mother. And for so long in the book, you don't know where her sister Stella has gone and you're just dying to know. And then finally, we catch up with Stella, who has been living her life passing as a white woman. I won't say where. Uh, she's married to a white man. Her daughter thinks that she is completely white. And Stella just lives in constant fear that she's going to be, quote unquote, found out. And this book really made me think about things that I've never had to think about or worry about um, because of my privilege as a white person. And you kind of you think you know where it's going, and then it doesn't. And it was so moving. And if you're a fan of Girl Woman Other by Bernadine Evaristo, it has quite similar themes. I'm a fan. <laughs> you're a fan. Okay, good. Good to know. Yeah, so it has similar themes in the way that the last few pages of that book uh, just joined together and left you breathless and sobbing and weeping. I felt similarly when I was reading this book because I just spent the whole book waiting for the sisters to find each other again. And I won't say if they do or not, but I just thought that this book was so brilliant. Yeah, I agree. I read this one last year and really enjoyed it. I had never read Brit Bennett before, um, but since reading The Vanishing Half, I picked up The Mothers, um, which is also really, really good. It was written actually before The Vanishing Half and is also about women and relationships and is just so good. I have to say I just love a sibling story. Yeah, especially twins. Yeah, my partner's a twin and it's so interesting having reading about the connection or lack thereof between twins and sort of then knowing his relationship with his mm. twin. It's just so fascinating. Yeah. Also, again, I can see this being a really good film or a HBO miniseries. In fact, I think the rights. I think it's done. I think it's a done deal. Oh, yeah, for sure. I just think that the world that it painted was so evocative and a world that feels fairly little explored on our screens and all of the peripheral characters that we were introduced to, the two daughters, their partners, the partners of the mothers, I liked all of them. They could all have a great storyline. Yeah, so interesting. So many complex relationships and characters um, and dynamics between people mm -hmm. that extend, sort of branch out from sort of the main two twins. The ending I thought was a little bit unsatisfying, but I also don't know how else I would have wanted it to end uh, because I also hate a book that wraps everything up really neatly. 
I quite like a sad ending or a really open-ended ending. And I guess that's the mark of a book that you really like when it ends and you want it to keep going. Yeah. The sequel, part two. Part two, please. Brit, it's been requested, please. (laughs) Are you ready for my last book of my top five? I cannot wait. Now, I was going to take this off my list and replace it with another one. (gasps) But I realised that the other one was published in 2019. Oh, no. (laughs) The other one is The Yield by Tara June Winch, which I loved but I won't be talking about on this episode. One of my favourite books of 2020 was The Rain Heron by Robbie Arnold. (gasps) That is not what I thought you were going to say. What did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say Hamnet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay, well, now I'm even more excited. Tell me about The Rain Heron. Okay, The Rain Heron. Robbie Arnott. Arnott, 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 Arnott's Biscuit. (laughs) In a similar way... To Trent Dalton, I will read anything he writes ever and his style is so uh, recognisable to me now that I've read Flames and The Rain Heron Um, and I just loved it. So we have an unidentified setting. Um, We have we start with Ren, this survivor woman who lives and is self-sufficient living on this mountain. And there's sort of been a coup with the government and there's been some people that have left society essentially and have gone to live on the outskirts and find ways to survive and make a living. Ooh. So Ren is one of those people and she's living on this mountain and she's trading with somebody who lives down at the bottom of the mountain and they'll trade, you know, food for supplies and shoes and weaponry and, you know, whatever whatever else it is that they need and they have and they can swap. Um, and so we start with Ren's story. There's four parts to the book um, and she is sort of an integral character throughout several of the parts. Um, and so off the grid, she's hanging out, um, surviving, figuring out how to live a solo life and not disturb anyone. When all of a sudden these soldiers arrive on the mountain, her mountain. She sees them and she thinks that they don't see her, but they do. And they start sort of tracking her and they start um, without really her realising until it's too late, they start removing her supplies. So they um, poison the water that she gets her water out of. They damage her garden. Garden? Yeah. Oh, my God. Basically, they kind of do some sort of, I'm going to call it torture, in order to get some answers from her. And they are looking for something. As the title suggests, it is the rain heron. The rain heron supposedly lives on this mountain where Ren lives. And so they're like, oh, this mountain woman will know where the rain heron is. Let's talk to her. So um, she doesn't really give much away until she has to. I'm butchering. I'm absolutely butchering this. But in any case, she takes them to the rain heron. They capture the rain heron. The rain heron does not like to be captured, so lashes out and injures this sort of lead soldier who does the capturing part two now we are with the soldier as a child 
Oh, unexpected. Yeah. Um, and so it's sort of the background. Her name's Lieutenant Harker. And um, we sort of learn about how she came to be where she is. Um, part three, we flick back to Wren in the present and she's come down from the mountain. The soldiers have taken the rain heron away and she's just doing her thing. And then part four, we're back with Harker who he has been tasked with delivering this rain heron to this sort of science lab days and days and days drive away in order to study the rain heron's uh, abilities because there is this myth, um, which I probably should have mentioned at the start because they mentioned the myth at the start of the book, um, that the rain heron can bring prosperity to, um, to land. Oh, good for the heron, the rain heron. <laughs> so if the rain heron comes, essentially you, you'll have rain, your land will be fertile, things are good. If the rain heron leaves, not so much. So the government's captured the rain heron in order to be able to sort of manipulate this skill that it's got or train it or, you know, do do whatever the government does <laughs> with mythical creatures. Uh, anyway, then, you know, as in many dystopian novels, she goes down and um, and then we sort of left uh, rooting for Harker who finds herself in some trouble. Um, of course, Harker and Wren, their lives sort of become intertwined throughout the novel. Love a good intertwining in a novel. Yeah, likewise. Not quite in the same way as, as Robbie Arnett does this in Flames, but it's still engaging nonetheless. Um, and I guess the, there's sort of a mythical quality to both the story and the writing of the story which I really loved um emerging of myth and reality I suppose um it's fantastic it's relatable even though it's sort of so far-fetched that it couldn't possibly be reality um yeah so I wouldn't probably call that my top book of the year last year, but it is one that I highly recommend and I think that I will need to read it again in order to remember everything because there was so much in it, so much going on. And one of the parts, so there's four major parts, one of the parts was pretty much in a car for, I want to guess and say, 50 or 80 pages or something, but even so, it was just... It was just, just very interesting. That sounds really cool. I can't wait to borrow it from you. Um, and now here we are. One more to go. One more to go. So the last book I'm talking about today is Clap When You Land by Elizabeth Acevedo. This book book took me completely by surprise. Okay, I had never even heard of it before and I was on an online shopping website in the middle of lockdown last year and I was just adding books to my cart. I was just throwing them in and it came up at the bottom of the page in my suggestion, if you like these books, you might like this. And I was intrigued by the cover 
Uh, there's multiple covers out there as per usual, but I think all of them picture the same or a similar thing, which is where the cover is split in two and one half is one girl's face. The other half is another girl's face. And I added it to my card. I thought, why the hell not? And I'm so glad that I did. <laughs> so Clap When You Land is technically young adult fiction, but that won't stop me. That doesn't stop me. But I can also see why it's young adult fiction. And I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being studied in schools. And I hope that it does because it's really beautiful. So once again, this is a dual narrative told entirely in verse. So each chapter flits between two sisters. And one sister's verse is always in two lines at a time. So it's like poetry, but it doesn't necessarily rhyme. And the other sister talks in three line verse at a time. So you can immediately tell who's talking at all times. It's so easy to read in just a couple of hours because it's almost like reading an epic poem. That's so cool. It's really cool. Yeah, it was uh, very unusual. So this tells a story of two sisters, one of whom lives in the Dominican Republic and one of them who lives in America in New York City. And the sisters don't know about each other's existence until their father dies in a plane crash. And that's, that's not a spoiler. That has just happened before, right before the book starts. And their curiosity distracts them from their grief and they track each other down and they orchestrate the chance to meet. And it's really beautiful because it's written in poetry, but it's dealing with death and grief. And it also becomes a lot about the bitterness they feel towards one another when they get a glimpse into the life that the other one led, especially in relationship to the father. Oh. Because the father, he wasn't quite one of those dudes that has two hidden families that know nothing about each other. It's more that he had a life there, didn't work out, and then he came here. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you don't really hate him in that kind of way. He's not a villain, uh, but his daughters feel uh, very betrayed and that their world's are blown apart because suddenly they don't know who their father was and they're envious of the life that the other one had with him mm-hmm. but for completely different reasons. So the daughter that grows up in the Dominican Republic, uh, Camino, she lives a life that's quite simple. They don't have wealth or money. She lives with her grandmother. Uh, she lives by the beach. There's a dangerous man lurking about who's a constant presence. Uh, but she's quite immersed and in touch with her culture. Whereas uh, Yahaira, I think that's right, uh, Yahaira has a more privileged, wealthy background. She lives in New York City. She goes to a good school. She lives with her mother, but she doesn't necessarily feel so much in touch with her culture in the Dominican Republic. So then when they meet each other, there's this really interesting dynamic where they feel love for one another, but there's also resentment and jealousy and uh, it was just so gorgeous and touching and and I don't want to spoil the experience of discovering why the book is called Clap When You Land. It's kind of self-explanatory, um, but also at the end of the book, the author has a bit of a note about it. She is a Dominican-American author herself, but There is actually a reason that people from the Dominican Republic clap when their planes land and uh, it'll make me cry just talking about it. If you want to read something that is really 
are touching and sad and will make you cry, but it's also really well written and interesting and a really short, snappy read, but also still kind of upbeat, told through the eyes of teenage girls. Read this book. I cannot wait to read this. So I I borrowed this off Jess about what a month ago maybe um and i'm hoping to read it this month i can't wait you truly you will finish this in an hour it's just you open it and you're like oh it's just two lines at a time for the whole book and then once the sisters meet then you suddenly got two lines and then three lines when the other's talking and it just alternates it's so clever it was really fantastic yeah, I just, oh, I just loved it. It sounds so original. Yeah, I oh, I really hope this gets studied in schools. I imagine it will be one day, surely, because there's so much to talk about in terms of the language, the prose. Uh, I'm sure that teenagers can relate to the experiences. Uh, one of the characters is queer as well. She has a girlfriend. So I think there's a lot for young people to take away from it. Oh, that's great. I'll report back when I've finished reading it. I can't wait to read it. Please do. Um, I have some honourable mentions. Do you have honourable mentions? I have one. Okay. Well, two, if you count the yield. Oh, yes. Okay, let's count that. So The Yield <laughs> by T- Tara Toon Winch, published in 2019. I'm cheating a little bit because um, it's 2019, but it was so good. Um, I just – it was a- another one that I just read so quickly and – um was about a you know a story it's it's that classic story but it was the one of the most original ways I've experienced it where a person who's from the city comes back to the country um, after leaving and is reunited with their family and has to deal with a lot of stuff but the things that are tackled in this novel are amazing the grief and the preservation of language and the character's I just highly recommend this to anyone who reads. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you're from Australia. It doesn't matter if you're interested in Indigenous cultures and languages. I think that it should be essential reading for everybody. Great. I also really loved Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Ivaristo, also written in 2019. Um, but this was just one of the most original novels that I read when I picked it up. I just thought it was so well written mm-hmm. and form breaking and engaging and every single part and character I was invested in. So yeah, I really, really loved it. If you had to pick um, which storyline from the book a uh, little chapter, which one really sticks out in your mind? Which did you love and remember the most? The lesbian cult. Me too. <laughs> yeah, right. As in right towards the beginning and she goes to America with the partner and then the partner yeah. turns out to be, yes, yep, that one is the one that really sticks out for me as well. Well, I guess you think of domestic abuse and you think of well certainly I think of you know a heteronormative relationship so the fact that it happens and it can happen under the noses of a supportive community is so scary um, and it just breaks my heart how Mm. tricky it was for her to get out of that situation Mm. safely yes but then to go on and conquer and be amazing and really achieve a lot of things 
Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. Um, that's maybe why that one stuck out for us because it was so inspiring, uh, though also pretty dark. So <laughs> I have five honourable mentions <laughs> to bring up. But I won't go into too much detail about them. I'm just really bad at deciding on five books. So something else I really enjoyed in 2020 was Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Me too. Yay. Well, Sarah lent this one to me. She gave me a huge stack at one stage last year and she said, I recommend you start with Hamnet. And I did. And I'm really glad that I did because it was fantastic. It was a delight. Uh, So it's historical fiction, I suppose. It's based on the story of uh, Hamnet, who is Shakespeare's son, who it was historically accurate that he died when he was a child, uh, most likely due to the plague, which is maybe a reason why Shakespeare's plays never feature the plague. And Maggie just imagined this boy's life, and it's a little bit of magical realism and just a bit of outright magic maybe, and it's it was just delightful and charming and a really fun adventure-type novel. Yep. Uh, Even if you're not into Shakespeare, it is, it's not Shakespeare-heavy. It's sort of a almost a fan fiction sort of imagining. Um, it's just it's so worth your time. Yes, agreed. I also really enjoyed, as a bit of a lighter read, Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. This kind of blew up last year. This was a really interesting read because it's set out all in interview format, as if it's interviewing a bunch of uh, band members from a fictional band. I was not quite sure of that at some points, uh, but from a fictional band from the 60s and 70s. And it was really cool. It's about this young woman, Daisy Jones, whose manager pairs her up with a band called The Six to increase all of their success. And it follows their journey, their rise to stardom, and then uh, there's this will-they-won't-they-love story going on between Daisy and the lead singer of the band. Um, and it was it was really fun. It was a bit different, a kind of a fun read if you're in the mood for something a bit light. Uh, there's, of course, some dark moments in there. You know, it is following a, a fake rock band in the 70s. You can imagine some of the things that go down. But it was a a fun read. And now another book I really enjoyed was Olive by Emma Gannon. Oh, yes. This, I would put this in the category of books about women in their late 20s slash early 30s, just going about their lives. And it's kind of about that. But this one particularly hones in on uh, Olive is a woman who doesn't want to have children. And she knows that. And her friends either have children or are desperately trying to. And it's about the dynamics and conflicts that can arise between friends in that kind of situation and the pressures that are put on a woman to have have children or there's something wrong with you. And Olive is someone who uh, wants to be uh, child-free. That's what they're exploring in the book, quote-unquote, child-free as opposed to childless. And Emma's just a really great writer. She has her own podcast. It's called Control-Alt-Delete. Check it out. She interviews a lot of writers on there. It's cool. And it examines more deeply than a lot of other fictions that I've read the idea of not wanting to have children. I feel like a lot of books kind of touch on it or, you know, there's always like one character has the kids, one desperately wants but can't have, then one isn't quite sure. It's always like that. 
That book sounds amazing. It's an important conversation to have, I think. Yeah, it just made me think a lot and particularly given that a lot of our friends were entering that stage of life where a lot of our friends are starting to have babies uh, and it's it has stayed with me. I still think about this book a lot, which I think is the mark of something good. Now, the next book on my honourable mention list is Anxious People by Frederick Backman. I believe he is a Swedish author. He wrote A Man Called Ove uh, and this was a really unique book. I don't quite know how to describe it, but it was almost like reading one big riddle. It's about a bank robbery that goes wrong, and it almost reminds me of Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events, even though this is not a children's book. And it was really unique in its narrative form in that it would kind of jump in and out with being right there with the character and their thoughts – And then it would jump out and the book is aware that it is a book and you're the reader and it will address you as the reader. And it's very funny and charming, but it's also really commenting on the class system and uh, how little support there is for people who have nothing and have no money. And what I thought that it was really masterful at was the way that it would just flip on a dime from funny and lighthearted and then suddenly you have a tear in your eye. Your description of that makes me think of uh, the the book, The Girl Who Killed the King of Sweden. Have you heard of that? No. It's sort of a funny, fantastic, a little bit self-aware kind of book that's really absurd and accessible but fun and serious and dark and light yes. all at the same time. That sounds very similar. This book almost read like one big riddle. It, yeah, right. It reminded me of when you're uh, trying to figure out a riddle when you're a child and you don't know the answer, but it's on the tip of your tongue, but it keeps surprising you along the way. Yeah, it was just really cool. I liked it. Oh, that sounds great. And my final honourable mention goes to A Lonely Girl is a Dangerous Thing by Jessie Two. So this is another 2020 release, obviously. I was given it on my birthday and I devoured it. It follows Jenna, who is a violin uh, prodigy. It's set in Sydney, so it was really cool to read an Australian fiction book by an Australian author. Uh, But Jenna has had a bit of a rough uh, upbringing, given that she travelled the world as a famous violinist And that kind of fucked her up. And so we pick up in her early 20s. And I loved reading a story about a musician because I feel like you don't often get that in a character. I believe Jessie is a a Taiwanese-Australian author. And I read a really great interview with her where she was saying that she wanted to see more Asian characters in books who were uh, ruthless and a bitch. And I loved that. And I think that this book is quite divisive because the character is mostly unlikable but that's cool. She's definitely one of those fucked up characters that you're like, oh, stop everything you're doing, please, and go get therapy, please. (laughs) Yeah, I know that a lot of my friends didn't love this book so much, but I still think about it a lot. So I think that obviously it it struck something in me and it stayed with me and I liked it. It sounds great. It's been on my radar for some time. How do you select your next read? Ah, with anxiety. (laughs) (laughs) I'm in that magical zone right now where I'm in between books. 
So I kind of, I pick up a couple of the ones that I'm deciding between and I take them to the couch and then I sit with them, maybe pick them up and then I go from there. I do the same thing. Do you? Yeah. Well, I don't take them to the couch necessarily, but <laughs> embarrassingly, my my two read books are taking up an entire bookshelf at the moment. It's not a huge bookshelf but it's an entire bookshelf. It's exciting because there's so many good books and books that I know I will enjoy, but it's also so overwhelming because um, there's just so many mm-hmm. that could last me for the rest of the year and then some. And then, of course, I know I'm going to want to read other things. Yeah, you know you're going to go out and get more new books. It's a tricky situation. <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to the end of the very long very first episode of What Are You Reading? You've been listening to Sarah and Jess. Thank you so much for tuning in for our very first episode. We are always accepting book recommendations. So if you've got anything that you've loved that we didn't mention today, please let us know in in however you can reach us. Yes. uh, Hit us up on our Instas. You can find Sarah at at Sarah Clark Mm. or at Sarah Read This and you can find me at Jay Stanny or Speak and Jess. Oh, and special thanks to James Kershay for writing our little opening jingle. Uh, you can find his music on Insta at pop.d.art. So that's pop tart, just spelt in a uh, available way. And um, thanks for listening. <laughs> Bye for now. Until next time.